Hey, welcome. It's uh, really good to be with you. My name is uh, my name's Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Mosaic, and um, Advent week one. I love this time of year. Um, we had a good Thanksgiving with our family, and we had some friends over, and then the day after, we went and cut down and put up tree number two. And I'm always asked why we put up our trees so early and why we do two trees. I just want you guys to know, this year my mother put up seven trees. <laughs> That's no joke. I come by this heretic. I, I have no choice. It's just written into my, my code. Um, but it's such a great time to celebrate, and it looks fantastic in here. I don't know if you noticed in the lobby, there's some original art hanging on the wall and all the decorations in here. This actually happened this last Wednesday night, and it was done by our middle school, high schoolers, and college. Can we just, can we just thank them? And I'm going to be recruiting them to help me next year hang my outdoor lights, so thank you guys for that. Hey, it's Advent uh, week one, and um, Advent is a Latin word that means arrival, and maybe this is a new tradition for you. It's uh, something that, that we get to do the, the, the weeks leading up to Christmas as a way of celebrating, and um, it's a little bit new for me, honestly. I didn't, uh, when, when my family started going to church when I was in high school, uh, that church didn't participate, and I, I have actually never been a part of a church until Mosaic that participated in this tradition of Advent. And so it's been a new tradition for me to learn, and, and it's impacted me in pretty significant ways. I, I've kind of learned to experience it as something pretty countercultural to what um, this season sometimes can be. Uh, th these weeks leading up to Christmas are, are beautiful times with friends and family, but they can also be really busy times. And Advent invites us into a practice, into a rhythm of actually stopping and reflecting in the midst of that busyness and remembering the King and remembering that Jesus is arriving to you and to me. In a season uh, where, where we can be uh, kind of eaten up with things that are consumed in indulgence, Advent invites us actually to pivot towards gratitude and towards serving others. And so it's been a real meaningful tradition um, that, that, that I've been incorporating into my own life and, and these rhythms of Advent. And this year we're calling Advent um, Comfort and Joy. As Tim mentioned, it's lyrics uh, from a, a Christmas carol, Tidings of Comfort and Joy, which means proclamations of comfort and joy. And, and that's what we get to do these Sundays of Advent, to proclaim comfort and joy to one another because Jesus has come to us. And that's such a beautiful thing. We also get to be people who bring proclamations of comfort and joy into our city. Every year during Advent, we, um, we have practical ways that we get to exp uh, express those things. And in years past, that has looked like uh, maybe collecting items like diapers and jeans and socks for local partners, uh, partnerships within our city. Um, this year, we're, we're actually doing something a little bit different knowing that, that we are in a moment where loneliness is just rampant. We, we know this is true of our city already. Um, the last 20, 21 months of a pandemic certainly has not helped that. We know that, that, that loneliness is in our city, and we want to be a people proclaiming the good news of comfort and joy to the people that we live by, in the places that we work, that we play, or that maybe we learn, these people called our neighbors. And so the, the, the guide that was mentioned, this comfort and joy guide, um, there'll be one for the four weeks, uh, each week of Advent, and it's centered around four questions. 
Who is my neighbor? How can I pray for my neighbor? How can I be present with my neighbor? And how can I serve my neighbor? And the guide will, will, will direct you through uh, some, some scripture about these ideas and, and lead us to some questions and then actually lead us to application of how to actually engage with these people that we would call our neighbors in our world with comfort and joy. And I do want to bring your attention to one thing. At the, at the end of each guide, there's an email address that just simply says stories at mosaicportland.org. And the reason that that is there is that we have an opportunity to share stories as we're engaging with, uh, with our neighbors, with one another. In years past, our Advent efforts have been kind of centralized, bringing things into this building that we can bring to a partner. This year, we are decentralized throughout our city, bringing comfort and joy to our neighbors, and we want to share those stories with one another. And Colette mentioned you can get the guide. It's, if you get the uh, Mosaic Weekly, you probably already have it in your inbox. Um, if you're not signed up for Mosaic Weekly, this is a good chance to do that. Um, it's also on the website, and I have a handful printed out. You can come by the table and grab one um, after our gathering today. Hey, if you've got your Bible, um, turn to Luke 1, or turn there on your device, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us as we dive in uh, to Luke chapter 1. Father, thank you um, just for this opportunity that we get to come and sing songs uh, about the arrival of Jesus, that we, we get to celebrate the fact that, that this season points towards what we hang our hope on. And I, I pray today um, and over the weeks to come during this Advent season that we would lean in, uh, that we would be people who are wanting to respond to this story to hear it with fresh ears, to see it with fresh eyes, and to be impacted by the truth of this story. And we thank you for this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Luke 1, 39. Uh, six, six simple verses that are really impactful. It's a story um, of two women who meet. Uh, they're, they're both pregnant. One is pregnant much later than she had expected. Uh, much later than she had hoped for, and yet she is incredibly grateful that, that in her later years, God has blessed her with a child. She's, she's pregnant with this child named John. The other, uh, pregnant much earlier than she had anticipated, and by means that she could have never dreamed of. She's pregnant as a virgin, carrying Jesus, the Son of God. And this is the story of the, the two of them meeting, and um, I, I was reading a commentary about this this week um, that, that, that kind of painted this in a fresh light for me. Oftentimes, when we, when we read through the, uh, the birth narrative, the, the story of Jesus' arrival, the advent, uh, we can oftentimes uh, kind of go to familiar places in our emotions, in our mind, right? You might hear like Peanuts characters <laughs> talking or kids on a stage performing these things, and, and, and it can be very familiar language to us. And the author of this commentary I was reading was saying, hey, you need to see this thing, this story, through a specific lens. And he used a word that I thought was just really amazing. And his point was, for, for these people, for Mary and, and, and her, her nation, they had been waiting hundreds and hundreds of years for this event to happen. I, I, I don't even have a context for what that would be like. Something that's central to my life that I've been waiting hundreds of years for, that, that I will not see in my lifetime, my kids will not see, my grandparents didn't see, this, this massive longing for this people is happening 
in this moment. And, and the word that he uses to describe how Mary would have felt and Elizabeth would have felt is elation. Not a word I use a ton, but, but to be elated, overcome, raptured with joy and celebration. That's the lens through which we read this story. Luke 1, 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country, Judea, where she entered Zacharias' home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. Elation, celebration, and joy that the long-waited Savior has finally come. All Scripture points to God. It reveals who He is, His character, His power, His plans, His promises. The question I have for us today as we read this is, what do these six verses, this encounter of these two pregnant women, what does this teach us about our God, about who He is? What does it reveal to us about who He is? It first reveals that He is faithful, that He is trustworthy, that what He has said, what He has promised is going to come to pass that we can be anchored to the words of his truth. He is faithful. He is steadfast. I recently came across a, um, an article that was written about um, a, uh, a Pew Research um, stat that had come out this last year, and it was about institutional trust, how, how we as, as people trust or don't trust large institutions. And it was talking about big, multinational, billion-dollar, huge institutions. And, and it was also talking about governments and, and institutions within governments. And, and, and the, the stats that were coming from this Pew Research were showing that the institutional trust is actually at an all-time low. I don't know what the time frame is whenever they started measuring that stuff till now. It's actually at an all-time low, meaning that, that people believe that these large institutions either can't or won't choose to do what they say they're going to do. That, that government institutions either can't or aren't actually able to solve the problems they've been tasked to solve. And, and this distrust is kind of at an all-time high. What it produces is a, a, uh, a posture of distrusting either motives or ability that, that ultimately leads towards cynicism. Right? We're a little bit cynical about that big company, and, and they have a really good logo, and they say the right things, but we're, we're kind of cynical that they're actually going to follow through. We're, we're kind of cynical about maybe this government institute and its promises, and we're kind of cynical, we're kind of questioning, and, and the whole point of this article is that, that, that this is growing and this is on the rise, and certainly I know what it's like to feel cynical. You probably know what it's like to feel cynical. Mary and Elizabeth... And the people of this nation would have known what it's like to be cynical. 
to be waiting for the Savior. Generation after generation, hundreds of years of false hope, false proclamations, people claiming to be the Savior when they are not. And yet Jesus meets them with his faithfulness. He meets them in this place with his faithfulness. Faithful first to Mary. What an amazing gift for Mary. Right, we, we learned last week that she is uh, confronted by an angel, Gabriel, and this angel gives her this amazing word. Hey, you're going you're gonna, to um, conceive a child. You're going to be a virgin, and this child is going to be the son of God. And, 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 and he gives her this, this promise. And, and, and Tim mentioned this last week, and I think it's true for me. If I were to ever see an angel and an angel told me something, I would be convinced. Like, that's it. I'm good. I feel that way like with, with Moses in the burning bush. If I saw a burning bush, I don't even feel like I need faith anymore. Like, I, okay, that, that happened, and that is convincing to me. And, and so Mary's had this thing, and yet she gets this other confirmation, this gift from God, an extra display of his faithfulness. When she walks into this house, and her voice is heard by Elizabeth, John, who is, who is in Elizabeth, leaps Man, that's an amazing testament of God's faithfulness. That the first human to testify of Jesus' lordship was an unborn baby who couldn't see Jesus, who couldn't hear Jesus, testifies, recognizes the lordship of Jesus and expresses it by leaping in the womb. God displaying his faithfulness as a gift for Mary. And he displays his faithfulness to you and I through this story through Advent, that he has provided faithfully for you and I what we could not provide for ourselves, healing, to be made alive because of him. Listen to these words in, in Psalm 119. It says, um, your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth, and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. What do these six simple verses tell us about God? He is faithful. What he has said over my life and over your life will come to pass. This is an invitation for you and I to be anchored to his faithfulness, to to his trustworthiness, that it shapes and influences our lives, that we know no matter what the human experience brings us, the turmoil, the storms of life, we are tethered to something that does not fail. Institutions around us can crumble. Countries, nations will rise up and they will fall away. But, but the word of the Lord, his promises to you, to me, to Mary, and to Elizabeth, and testified by John the Baptist, is that he is faithful. It reveals to us this simple story that God is faithful and that he is also present with us. A story that, that reveals that, that God has made his home in Mary. And she is she's pregnant with Jesus, the Son of God. When we think about that, we, we either have to elevate Mary above the human condition. Now she, she's better than you and me, Right? She's better than other people in the Bible. And we, we kind of have to elevate her and put her on this pedestal to make that make sense, that, that Jesus would dwell in her. Or we have to understand and accept that God makes his home in you and I, 
even in our brokenness and imperfection. That he is not the distant Savior. He is the close Savior. That we don't garner his favor and his presence, but he is present with us. This story reveals God's presence with us. I want to read you this, this prayer out of Ephesians. Um, this is Ephesians chapter, chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And this is a, a letter by Paul to the church of Ephesus, and it's a prayer that he prays for them as a community. He says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. God making his home within us, present with us, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer for this church is that they would continue to strive to grasp what it means that they are loved by Jesus and that he is present in their heart. This is a charge that he prays over them, and it's a charge for us to grasp the depth and the width and the height of God's love for us, that he's made his home in our hearts. My, my natural kind of inclination in wiring is, is to kind of not accept that. My natural wiring wants to say, oh man, I, I want to earn God's love and presence. I mean, I, I want to live in such a way that, that God is comfortable, that, God, that, that I'm worthy to be in God's presence, and that, that's, that's an elusive thing that just never comes about. God makes his home in us. He's present with us. I recently had um, dinner with a, an old friend of mine. I've known them for, for quite a few years, uh, but haven't connected with them for probably the last three or four, haven't seen them. Um, they, uh, they had been traveling around, sold their house. It's kind of one of those classic stories, I guess, sold their house, moved their family into an RV, and just traveled around. And um, so I, I hadn't had a chance to connect with them very much, um, but I, I, I knew enough of their story that they were pretty disenfranchised just with life and following after Jesus. Pretty, pretty frustrated, had, um, had some outcomes that, that they uh, were really struggling with, and just found themselves in a place of, of brokenness. And, and he begins to share this story with me over a meal, and he said, I was just broken. I kept saying, God, where are you? I mean, I feel like this part of my life is falling apart, and this part of my life is falling apart, and, and, and these things that I've wanted, and these things I've hoped for, I, I've just not seen you, and God, I feel you're distant. And he said that, that over time, he began to pray less and less, and think on God less and less, and, and, and found himself in a place of just kind of apathy, just kind of in spiritual apathy, not really pursuing God, not really running from God, but, but just found himself in this place. And he told me, he was, uh, one day he was working out in a shed and he uh, wasn't thinking about prayer, wasn't praying, wasn't, wasn't engaged in, in scripture in any way. And he said, in that moment, I felt the presence of God come absolutely crashing into my world. 
And I felt God tell me, I've never left you. I will never leave you. I am present with you. And he said that he, he just began to weep. And he weeped all of that day. And he weeped all the next day. He could hardly even talk to his wife. And he experienced the faithful presence of God. Meeting him even in his brokenness. This is a growing desire of my heart as well. To be a person that recognizes and pursues the presence of God. To be a person that recognizes and understands God doesn't make his home in us because we're a fantastic home. God doesn't choose to be present with us because we've earned it, because we're worthy of it, but rather because he loves us. God makes his home in us because he loves us. The story reveals this about our God, that he's faithful, and that he's willing to step into the human condition, into the messiness of our lives. That might be a challenging thought for some of us. That might feel very uncomfortable to say, man, the condition of my heart is not a place I want to host someone. The condition of my heart, if it were a house, it would be really messy, and I need to clean it up before I invite someone over, certainly before I invite the Son of God in. And yet, Jesus steps into the story of our mess and is present with us. He's faithful to us, and he's worthy of our celebration and our adoration. I love the response of Mary. Through all of the, the, the birth narratives and, and Matthew, uh, Luke, and Mark, through all the birth narratives, every time we read that the, 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 the angel is telling her she's going to be pregnant or when she in, has this encounter with Elizabeth, she never once says, oh, yes, this, this makes sense. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do a good job. I, I, I feel like I would be a great candidate for the Son of God to dwell in me and to give birth. She, she never says that. In fact, it's the exact opposite. She questions it. Why is it me? Why have you chosen me? And, and, and then she responds with obedience, and she responds with wonder, with amazement. This beautiful story of these two pregnant women meeting together, she rushes to tell Elizabeth what has happened in the moment that she comes into Elizabeth's presence, and Elizabeth hears her voice. John leaps within her, and their response is elation. Their response is, is worship to recognize what this moment is that the Son of God has come. In N.T. Wright, who is a, um, a theologian, he writes this, talking about this, this, this moment, these six verses that we're looking at. Before the gospel, a fierce, bright shout of triumph, 30 weeks before Bethlehem, 30 years before Calvary and Easter. It's all about God. It's all about revolution. And it's all because of Jesus. Jesus, who's only just been conceived, not yet born, but who has made Elizabeth's baby leap for joy in her womb and has made Mary giddy with excitement and hope and triumph. He's pointing at the significance of this moment. That's what we're invited to do as well. This Advent season, we're invited to read these stories with fresh ears, with fresh eyes, to read these stories and to recognize the significance of 
this moment that even an unborn baby could recognize and respond to. That we recognize the glory that the Savior of the world has come. And he's come to you and to me and to all humanities. We recognize it and we respond with adoration, with worship, and with elation. In uh, Psalms 29, listen to these words in Psalms 29. Ascribe, ascribe to the Lord, you, heavens being, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory do his name. Worship the Lord with the splendor of his holiness. We're given the charge to not just read this story, but to recognize it for what it is and then to respond with worship of our king. I want to invite our, our team to come forward. We're going we're gonna to do just this. We're going to have a chance to, to read these words on the screen, to read the, 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 the story that they're telling, and to respond with our own worship. And as they're, uh, as they're preparing and coming up, I, I, I want to leave us with a few challenges. I want to invite us, firstly, just to lean in this Advent season. And I, I know that this is an incredibly busy season, on Black Friday, I, I did this thing with my phone where I didn't delete any emails because I wanted to see how many I would get. I got an email from any store I've ever shopped in. There was like 150 emails in a single day. And I just kind of chuckled with, with Dane and my wife. I said, this, is, this season just gets so busy. We were calendaring and, and trying to figure out parties and, and, and work parties. And all of it's good and all of it's fun. But, but I just recognized that this season can pass in a flurry of busyness and I can miss the bigger invitation to lean into the story, the reality of the story that Jesus took on flesh and came to you and to me. I want to invite you to lead in, uh, lean into these, these weekly guides, these, these opportunities that we have not to just recognize comfort and joy, but to proclaim it to our neighbors. I want to invite you to lean in this Advent season for all of its worth. And let's worship our King. We're going to worship by taking communion now. If you're, you're here in the building, you have a little communion cup. You tear the, the cellophane off the top and then push the tab down. Uh, if you're at home, take a moment to go get your own communion supplies. And as the band leads us in this first song, when you're ready, with a prayer of elation and adoration, I invite you to worship and let's take communion together. Thank you. 